Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. So today we're going to be talking about a subject that I know a lot of PCOS divas are interested in, and that's natural hormone replacement therapy. And I've reached out to one of the experts in this subject, and it's Dr. Anu Arasu. She is one of the first doctors in the UK to train in functional medicine, and she specializes in tailor-made hormone therapy at her clinic, London Bioidentical Hormones, based on Harley Street in London. So, so glad to have you here, Dr. Anu. Thank you very much, and thanks for that introduction, Amy. It's great to be here. So I, I love the, the miracle of technology that we can be talking across, across the pond. Um, I know. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, no, I'm sure you've got a, nicer, a bit of a nicer view than I do right now at 3, 3 p.m. on a rainy London day, but yeah. Oh, gosh, I don't know about that. It's kind of like dreary here in New Hampshire, hoping for a nice warm 74 degree day tomorrow um so i can start (laughs) doing some gardening i'm really looking forward to that but um so yeah let's let's kind of just jump right in i uh i've done some other podcasts about um natural hormone replacement therapy especially progesterone and and if people want um to get more and more information definitely listen to my podcast with dr poppy daniels but I really wanted to, to touch um, upon that natural hormone replacement therapy again because it's something that I think women are hearing more about it and mm. how it could possibly help with PCOS. So, um, you know, maybe you could just first sort of talk a little bit about the, the hormonal imbalances of PCOS and yeah. how um, natural hormone replacement therapy could possibly um, play a therapeutic role. Yeah, no problem. So PCOS is essentially a hormone imbalance. What is PCOS? It's defined by three things, really. Number one, someone has few or no periods. Um, number two, they tend to have high male hormones like testosterone. Um, and either these are high levels in the blood or Possibly they're normal levels in the blood, but they have the clinical symptoms of high male hormone levels. So, for example, they might be finding they're getting 
hair on the face, hair on the shoulders. They may have that kind of that coarse, thicker terminal hair. Um, you know, the type you normally find on eyebrows. They may have that in different places, such as the face. Um, and the third, the third part of the diagnosis is if someone has multiple cysts on their ovaries um, as an ultrasound scan. So, you know, the question is, why would, why would this pattern occur? And actually, what we know is that when there are hormone imbalances such as insulin resistance, it can affect the LH surge, which can interfere with ovulation, and it can actually push the male hormones like testosterone up high. Um, so essentially, PCOS is a, is a bit of a hormonal storm. Um, and that's why I think testing and trying to rebalance the hormones with, with bioidentical hormones can be a really great approach. So to just... I'm curious, what type of testing do you like to do for, for hormones? Do you do something like a Dutch test? Um, yeah, I really like the Dutch. So serum and urine testing is great. Um, I think urine testing has the added advantage of looking at how one metabolizes the hormones. Um, so you can actually see, for example, uh, if somebody has a normal testosterone, but they're shunting it down the 5-alpha pathway, they're more likely to get... Uh, side effects of acne or hair growth. So, so, so that kind of thing can be useful, which you get on a urine test. Um, I mean, the Dutch test also looks at cortisol. And I think this is very relevant, particularly for our slimmer PCOS type patients, because in their case, you know, what, what is the driver if it's not diet? Actually, high stress levels, uh, other, other conditions can, can be driving insulin resistance even in them um so the dutch test is great for all of those things um it also has markers of oxidative stress on it uh which again i think is relevant to to pcos and so much so much of some of the problems are inflammatory in nature serum levels are fine and you can also do genetic tests remember so you can also get similar information from a serum test plus plus a, a gene test to look at the genes that control how you handle estrogen um so these are the kind of tests I do. I mean, one good thing about serum tests is that, for example, if you want to know if you're ovulating or not, you know, that day 21 progesterone is recognized by lots of doctors, even those who aren't so functional medicine trained. Um, so, you know, seeing that day 21 progesterone, if it's looking low, um, yeah, people are going to take note. Um, so that's the best way I'd, I'd say it kind of depends on the case, but well, and for those test. listening that aren't familiar with the Dutch test, I did a, a podcast on that. I'll put that in the show notes um, as well. But so, you know, I think a lot of women have heard of, you know, or, or even have um, like compounding pharmacies that sell yeah. these natural hormones over the counter. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hesitate for people to just start using them without taking, you know, having some baseline labs to sort of see where they're at and to, and to work with a doctor like yourself, um, you know, on a plan. Oh, completely. I wouldn't personally take anything without a test. I, I really wouldn't. I think it's, um, uh, it's subtle. Um, you don't, yeah, you, the, the human body is subtle. We must respect it. Um, I think, uh, testing can be incredibly useful and it's always you always get surprised you know sometimes you'll be so sure a result will come back looking one way and um 
we may think we're not stressed, for example. We may think, no, stress is not a problem for me. Um, and then you get back that 24-hour cortisol level. Um, or it could be a surprise. The 24-hour cortisol is okay, but you're not clearing it out. It's hanging around in the system. And then when it is being broken down, it's being broken down into stimulating metabolites. So it's, it's interesting to have that extra information. And I think if you're going to start something like progesterone cream, um, you're potentially going to be on it for a while. You want to know... Um, yeah, uh, what kind of dose to start, what your own estrogen is doing, when things are getting better, when you may not need so much. Because one thing about hormones, I always think of them like circles. Too much can sometimes give very similar symptoms to too little. Um, so it's quite interesting. You know, there really are symptoms of too much as well, uh, and we must look out for that. So maybe you could, um, and, and, you know, I talk a lot about how there is no one-size-fits-all approach to women with PCOS. You know, we're all mm. different. Um, but maybe just for, for the, the sake of this podcast, you know, what would uh, kind of like your classic woman with PCOS um, who's come to you with like a, a typical um, lab results, um, you know, what would um, – that like your recommendation for hormonal replacement therapy kind of look like for her? Yeah. Um, so often they, first of all, they come in and I'd say uh, probably the majority, maybe 60, 70% are struggling with weight. Um, that's another part of it that's making them unhappy. And in that picture, what we'll often find on the hormone blood tests is high estrogens, high testosterones, lower progesterones, possibly DHA normal or high. Um, thyroid antibodies, I think, are really useful to do um, because there is a big link between thyroid antibodies and polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and in that case, you really want to be working on addressing the root cause and balancing out the hormones. So when I say addressing the root cause, I think this is a lot of what you do, Amy, but working first of all on the if the testosterone is high, the, the drive behind that, which is often insulin resistance. Um, I do tend to test for insulin resistance as well, um, so you can actually, uh, you might get an idea of it with the SHBG, or you can actually do a fasting insulin test, or even a fasting insulin tolerance test, um, where people have a blood test done and then have glucose and have it repeated after two hours, and then you can really pick up quite, quite subtle levels of insulin resistance just beginning. Um, and so the plan would be really working on diet and lifestyle changes to address that insulin resistance. And yes, often looking at supplements that can help clear out estrogen. Um, certainly if they're not having very often, if they're not having many periods, correcting that low progesterone is key. I mean, anyway, it's, it's always important, but particularly if they're not having many periods. So I love that you said getting to the root cause, and, and I think that there's this idea sometimes that there's a magic pill, and, mm. you know, even progesterone cream is sort of the magic pill, and you can't, you can't, um, like, out, out, what do I want to say, you can't use supplements to kind of fix up a crappy diet and, you know, no exercise um, and being stressed out all the time. It just doesn't work that way. They work in, in conjunction with each other. Not um, once we're found anyway. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. No. Um, 
that's the thing. These these things don't they don't happen overnight. They are the tendencies that have been forming for a while, um, and correcting them is going to change the rest of your life. Really, it's going to it's going to change so many other things because it's not just the estrogen progesterone balance that we're worried about. It's it's the fact that you know there's predisposition to diabetes or that um, you, you know the the increased incidence of thyroid antibodies and what does that mean for other inflammatory and autoimmune mm-hmm. conditions. So it, it's really you want you want to be addressing the root cause. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's wider than, than just this one diagnosis. So you mentioned about um, sort of this classic PCOS patient that is getting irregular cycles and, you know, may have not had a cycle in months or even years. You know, what, what do you do in that case? Um, I know a lot of conventional medicine doctors will give their patients a prescription for Provera. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of Provera. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what, what, what was the last part that you were saying? Well, I was just going to say, what do you think about that um, recommendation to you know give your patient a prescription for Provera to induce a you know period uh, if if she hasn't had one in a while? And and um, you know, what would you do? Yeah. So first of all, I'm I'm not a fan of Provera. Provera is medroxyprogesterone acetate, so it is a synthetic progestin. However, so basically, I think there are better alternatives. However, the logic of what they are doing, which is to try to give something to thin the lining of the womb, is what needs to happen. Um, there are just many, many better things that they could use. So I, uh, one of the issues about being in a high estrogen state with low progesterone if you're not having a period what is happening to that lining of the womb that's been built up by estrogen that is not being shed out or resorbed by the body which normally progesterone would do what is happening and and we do know that people with polycystic ovarian syndrome can be at increased risk of endometrial cancer because of this issue because of not having very many bleeds um and so for this reason you know if someone's having having less than four periods a year and they actually do have really high estrogens they absolutely need to take something um i would be very strongly for the idea that they take bioidentical progesterone to induce a bleed and thin the lining of the womb so what in what form would that be it really depends on the patient i do use creams, lozenges, also capsules for some. Um, so it does depend on the patient. And again, the individual variation is quite wide. Um, some people tolerate progesterone really well. I mean, I think a lot of people tolerate it well. Um, you'll always get some people who who don't tolerate progesterone. So, so it you have to find what's right for that person. You have to work mm-hmm. out what, what, why they may not be tolerating it. You know, are they converting it to cortisol? What's going on? So can you tell us a little bit about um, the role progesterone plays in um, the pregnancy and um, early pregnancy uh, and why women with PCOS might be kind of compromised, I guess, um, if we're already low progesterone? Is there something that we should be aware of? Um, you know, when, yeah. we, when we do get pregnant? 
Yeah, so it's interesting because um, women with PCOS often have very good egg quality in reserve. One of the issues is about the fact that they're not ovulating. This makes it very hard time when to when to have sex and to to know that fertility is not a problem because they've been trying for a while and, and nothing's happening. Um, but actually, the eggs that are sitting there are good quality, good reserves. Um, progesterone in pregnancy. So progesterone progestation is the hormone of pregnancy. Um, uh, it's it is the major player in the in the first twelve weeks in the first trimester of pregnancy. Um, it, yes, it is. It, it, it has an impact impact on our T helper cells and these involved in maintaining pregnancy. Um, look, I think if somebody has a luteal phase progesterone defect, i.e. if they're having cycles and often their progesterone is low in the second half of the cycle, um, doctors, if they pick it up, <laughs> will often give that person progesterone. And what tends to be the trend here, I don't know how it is where you are, but um, clearly everyone who's on IVF will have progesterone. Often women who get pregnant later on, so 40 and above, will be given progesterone um, for the first 12 weeks. Uh, again, that's not that's not a fixed thing, but that's, that's often the case. And, and I do think that if you've had a struggle with low luteal-based progesterone, you know, one can even test progesterone in the first trimester and actually look at the um, the reference ranges for the first trimester. But but if if low on the low side, I think it could be very useful. Um, evidence is, is, I think, I'm not sure we have enough evidence to say that conclusively, but certainly anecdotally, a lot of people find progesterone in the first trimester very helpful for preventing miscarriage. They seem to have had miscarriages before when they took progesterone. Who knows what is the thing that helps? How can we prove it? But, right. um, but yes, it is, it's not an uncommon thing to hear. So you were talking about um, cortisol and, you know, especially thin women with PCOS, mm. cortisol can be an issue. And that's certainly been, um, you know, my experience. And I'm just curious, mm. like, what do you recommend for your patients that have, you know, elevated cortisol or, um, you know, even like um, kind of like inverse cortisol rhythms? Um mm. You know, what what do you recommend? Hmm. It does depend on the cause in that person. I think clearly if they've got something, some big obvious, obvious emotional elephant in the room, that's, uh, or, or if it's not obvious to them, but, but you know, there is something emotional that needs to be being dealt with, that's, that's key. I think from a physical perspective, um, sleep is, is the big one. Sleep and stable blood sugars, but um, sleep is, is, the one that is so involved with our circadian rhythms. So just, for example, sleeping at the wrong time. I mean, I have a lot of patients from the Middle East who may go to bed very late. You know, they'll go to bed in early hours of the morning every night, um, and then they wake up very late. And, and actually, um, this is not helpful from an insulin resistance point of view. Um, you know, we, we might think, oh, I was just born that way, but no, probably not, probably there are things that we could do to to normalize it um night shift workers classic problem we know that night shift workers have a greater instance of 
insulin resistance, even type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, just by working night shifts, even if they get the same number of hours of sleep during the day. Um, not getting enough sleep. Of course, if somebody is stressed, if they get the first signs of HPA axis dysfunction, their cortisol may be going up in the evening, they may have problems falling asleep, or they may fall asleep and then wake in the early hours with a bit of an adrenaline surge. So, so yes, I would be quite keen on very, on improving sleep. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so mm. how, Do you find the same thing? How, how do you approach it? Oh, gosh, yeah. Sleep, I think, is so underrated. And I think women with PCS tend to be night owls for some reason. I don't know why we like staying up late and hard for us to get up in the morning. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's made a big difference in my life. How did you manage to then force yourself to go to sleep earlier? Oh, I think, it, you know, I call it sleep hygiene, just, um, you know, not watching TV until I, you know, go to bed so I can kind of give my brain a chance to unwind, um, taking hot baths with Epsom salt to like, that magnesium is really relaxing. Yeah. Um, and reading, just reading like, you know, not a super stimulating book. Um, beforehand and the blue light blocking glasses have helped a lot as well mm, yes i mean this is why this is such a big problem nowadays because mm-hmm. of course circadian rhythms you now melatonin's made in the pineal gland and the pineal gland is essentially our connection to nature it responds to moonlight it responds to sunlight um so if we're not waking up and getting two hours of natural light, which let's face it, most of us aren't. I mean, even 20 mm-hmm. minutes, you know, if we're not waking up to getting two hours of natural sunlight, and then we're coming into artificially lit rooms and staring at a computer screen, circadian rhythms really suffer. Um, yeah. So I want to shift to uh, women with PCOS and, you know, perimenopause, menopause phase. Mm. Um, you know, I'm in there. I'm... 47, going to be 48 this year. So I'm kind of, you know, entering this stage of my life. And I know my mother was, uh, was like in her early 40s when she had a um, hysterectomy and was on Premarin um, for, for quite a long time, which is, you know, problematic now. But what, what when you see women going into perimenopause with menopause with PCOS, are there um, hormone replacement therapies that are right for us? Um, I mean, the beauty about bioidentical hormones, which is what I'm describing, is that everybody, you would test and just give them what they need. So whereas another woman may need testosterone in perimenopause, someone with PCOS may well not. Um, so, so in that sense, you'd only ever be giving them what they need. I think some women find that with the menopause, um, they actually feel that they get a bit more face, well, hair, hair on the face, or a bit more androgenic symptoms. And they say, "Why is this? You know, it's ridiculous. Why? It's embarrassing. I've got acne again, like a teenager." Um, actually, even why that is because if that estrogen and progesterone dropped off at menopause testosterone, possibly DHA, will still be around, could still be around, and therefore could make one's own endogenous levels more 
prominent on own, one's own endogenous testosterone levels more prominent even if they are not abnormally high. So I think this this could be an issue for some women with PCOS. Though I have to say, a lot of my a, a lot of patients with PCOS, um, the hormone imbalances can correct themselves before this time. You know, when they if they do the work, really the hormone balances correct themselves. Um, so often, you know, testosterone's come down, and this is not such a big issue. High so, testosterone as it might be in late twenties or. Yeah, and there I hear you saying again, like doing the work, and is so important. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I and when we talk about doing the work, I mean, in perimenopause and menopause, these are anyway a state of inflammation and oxidative stress. Mm-hmm. So, with the best will in the world, as soon as we enter perimenopause, menopause, we are entering a state of inflammation, increasing insulin resistance. So perhaps if you already have a predisposition, a tendency to insulin resistance, you have to work a bit harder at this time of life not to put on weight centrally. That's another thing that I think PCOS sufferers might find challenging about this time of life. Yeah, so it could because insulin resistance naturally increases anyway for women at this stage. At and so we're, time. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, giving back the hormones is, could be very preventative. So, in fact, we've done studies and that when estrogen drops to menopause levels, so it's pretty undetectable, um, that flicks on a, a, an enzyme ALDH1A1 that can make us put on weight centrally. So actually giving back hormones in the right balance has to be the right dose. Um, and giving back bioidentical as opposed to synthetic ones that may bind to other receptors. But giving back bioidentical hormones in the right dose can attenuate against weight gain. So it's not saying it's a magic bullet, that if you just take the hormones, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> but it is saying that um, if, you, if you take hormones, you may just find that your metabolism starts working again. Mm. It can put those hormones back in kind of that perfect, um, ratio. Well, you know, maybe not perfect, but in a better ratio. Yeah, exactly. So do you have other tips for women with PCOS, you know, women that you see um, in your, your practice? You know, what, what are you, you um, recommending for them in terms of, um, you know, lifestyle? Yeah, so I would be saying three meals a day, no snacks in between. Um, I would be saying low GI, so we're focusing more on protein and veg and moderate to, moderate to lower carb. Um, the, try to drink plenty of water. I mean, that's, that's going to be helpful for, for a detox perspective, if, if even just to clear out their own estrogen levels. Avoid constipation. Constipation can, can cause the recirculation of partially metabolized estrogen. Um, if they have thyroid antibodies, I would dig a bit deeper, think about looking for leaky gut. Um, so this is the link between uh, inflammation in the gut and, and it's, its predisposition to the formation of autoantibodies. Um, yeah, for those that don't know what thyroid antibodies are, could, can you explain that? Yeah, so thyroid antibodies are when we begin to form an immune response against our own thyroid. 
so i.e. our body is beginning to attack its own thyroid. Now, why would that happen? Don't know. A few theories, one of which, particularly in the functional medicine world, is this idea that, um, that the gut is the main way that we communicate with the outside world. The gut lining is supposed to act like a sieve. It's supposed to let small molecules in, large molecules out. If it becomes very leaky, it lets larger proteins in skin and we form an immune response against those and in doing so can begin to even attack our own proteins. So, so certainly things like giving up gluten has been associated with lowering of thyroid, thyroid antibodies. Um, Isabella Wentz got a great book on, on everything you can possibly do to lower your thyroid antibodies. Um, yes, so I, I think it's a useful thing to pick up because number one, if you leave it, the thyroid could become a bit slow, Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. But number two, even if it's not yet at the stage where it's affecting your thyroid, it's a sign that there is an inflammatory process going on. It's a sign that already we should really be looking at the diet and the gut and what is going on, in my opinion. And those risks, um, the risks for thyroid issues, you know, they, they kind of reappear when we're entering menopause too isn't that correct so we need to stay on top of it <laughs> do i mean they say start a woman with pcos are four times more likely to have hashimoto's mm-hmm. um look we've still got to keep this in perspective i know sometimes this sounds very worrying still keep it in perspective not <laughs> the plenty of people that don't um but yes definitely check definitely check it's a useful test to do often overlooked so, you know, for those that are listening that, you know, we're, that aren't in the UK, do you have any advice on trying to find um, a practitioner that does what you do here in the States? I'm sure a bioidentical hormone doctor in the States would, would address this as well. I think it has to be somebody, I would, I would go with a bioidentical hormone doctor with an interest in functional medicine. Um because especially with you know PCOS, as we said it's the whole lifestyle it is it is not just estrogen progesterone and testosterone this is it is cortisol and insulin and all the rest of it um but i think you have quite a lot of bioidentical hormone doctors in the states don't you i mean we go into a number of their lectures on, on various things so i yeah i think you should you should find a bioidentical hormone doctor with a functional medicine approach yeah, and I, I do think that that's so key is that functional medicine, you know, integrative approach yeah. getting to the root cause, which I heard you say several times in our interview today. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Well, I so appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your, your knowledge with us. And um, for those listening that, you know, are in um, London and the UK, tell us how, how they can... Um, work with you fine so i am um i'm based in harley street the website is a good place to start so it's www.londonbioidenticalhormones.com um i think generally if you're not sure if um you have hormone imbalance or if this is the right route drop us an email and uh we would would see if this is the right approach but certainly um if it's something we think we can help with then we normally have a questionnaire 
very extensive questionnaire and a first appointment and, and go through everything and really try to rebalance the hormones, very much looking at diet, lifestyle, nutrition, supplements and bioidentical hormones. Yeah, and I just wanted to give a shout out to your social media. You have a great um, Facebook page and you, you post Thanks. a lot of your blog articles, which are really informative. So definitely give um, Dr. Anu a follow on Facebook and Twitter and we'll, we'll put those, um, those social tags on our, uh, on our, in our show notes for you. Great. Perfect. Well, it's been really great chatting to you. Yeah, great. Great to have you. Thank you so much. And and thank you, everyone, for listening. I look forward to being with you again very soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at pcusdiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.